so awesome to be here with you today. And again, I know that uh, I promise you, I promise you, uh, God's put something on my heart to share, but it will will be out in time to watch the Stampeders. How's that? To uh, take on the Toronto Argonauts. Okay, no, it won't be that long of a, a service. But before I jump into my message here today, uh, I want to just say a big thank you to everybody this week that uh, gave me uh, birthday wishes. Uh, it was uh, great to hear from you. It was awesome, and I'm just so grateful for all the friends and family that I have. Yes, I turned 29 on last Wednesday. I know I don't look a day over 28, but uh, it's all good. It's all good. No, but thank you. I really appreciate it, and uh, just speak God's blessing for you. Well, I want to start off today by uh, getting into our scripture for our series that we've been doing through Heaven's Eyes. And again, I, I just want to, we're concluding this today, and I just want to read this to you just to kind of set the tone today. But here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 in the NIV version. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Well, I want to start off by asking a question. Is it okay today to start talking about Christmas? Is it okay to, to uh, bring that into my message? I hope that it's, you're not one of those. It's like, no, no, pastor, you got to wait till December. You see, where I, where I grew up, the rule was this. Here was what the rule was. That, uh, and I grew up in the States that was this. You could go all in on Christmas once Thanksgiving had passed. And so that happened on Thursday. So I feel like I'm free. Uh, I've got the liberty. I mean, I made the mistake this year. I, I swear I'd never do it again like 10 years ago. I got suckered into it. I went to Black Friday shopping on Friday at Cross Iron Mills Mall. It was a zoo. It was crazy. I had to hike three miles just to get to my car. Uh, I don't know. Did anybody else do that? Were you, did you get, okay, you're smarter than I am. Praise God for that. That's I, I need you. Uh, hopefully you need me. This is a good thing. But I want to talk about how Christmas gifts for kids have changed over the years, haven't they? The things that they, they get. And so I want to talk about my childhood for a minute. And so now you're going to know I was lying about my age, which you already knew that, is that I grew up as a child in the 70s, the awkward 70s. You know, the crazy clothes that now are coming back. People love it. They think it's great. I, I thought it was a little bit crazy. Amazing haircuts and mustaches and all those kinds of things. They're, they're kind of back, you know. And radical changes in, in just social values and things. But the one thing that didn't change, I got to say this, the one thing that you could count on that was unchanging was that the Sears catalog would arrive. Who here remembers the Sears catalog? Maybe we should have a moment of silence for Sears today because uh, I think it's no longer with us. Uh, but, but you could count on the Sears catalog. And, and, and what we would do as kids, uh, maybe you did this as a kid, but you would, you would wait for that, 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 the catalog to arrive and you would circle all the things that you wanted. You would circle it, you would, you know, you'd, you know, dog ear pages. And as a kid, your hope was this, that if you circled things, that then your mom and dad or your aunts or your uncles or your grandparents, they would look at this catalog and they would be like, oh, wow, now I know what to get, Todd or Susie or whoever it was. And you would hope for it. But, but here's, there, there, here's what really happened. There are the gifts that you wanted and then there were the gifts that you got. You know what I'm talking about, right? The things that didn't happen, well, 
there were certain things that were kind of standard in, in, in that season. Who here remembers? I'm, I'm going to take you down memory. Who remembers? Maybe you still find these, the Lifesaver books, the Lifesavers, where the books open up, and you, that was like a stocking thing. In my family, it was actually a present. You'd open up, and you'd get the Lifesavers. Lifesavers are good, but not as cool as a remote control car. You know, it's not quite the same. Who here remembers this one? Baby Alive. Who as a girl wanted baby? And I'm going to tell you what baby alive was like. This was a terrible, disgusting idea. What happened with baby alive is you actually would feed this doll food. It would actually go into the doll, and then it would go to the bathroom for you. You'd have to change baby alive. Now, think about the food that just stuck in there. We, in the 70s, we weren't real smart about our gifts. How about this one? This was fun. Who, who got Etch-A-Sketch? You know, the, the knobs where you draw the pictures. Now, that was around for a while, but I remember everybody at least had an Etch-A-Sketch at some point in their life. Here was another really genius idea. Who here had Light Bright? Light Bright. Now, this was incredible. You put a 5,000-degree light bulb into this thing that, 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 that lights up the world. I mean, it was pretty, but they had to get rid of it. Why? Because kids are like, burning themselves, catching their houses on fire. You know, you turn on light bright, forget about it, come home, no more house. It was really a neat thing. Whoever got walkie-talkies? You know, the walkie-talkies, these things were so great. They had a range of like 10 feet, I swear. The, you, you, you hope that they could, you could get through a room, or maybe if you're, you had a brother or sister in a bunk that you would be able to talk to each other with the walkie-talkie. They were a lot of fun. But here's one of my favorite, and we're going to put this up on the screen. Whoever got one of these? This is something cool. Come on, I'm waiting for it. It's awesome. The viewfinder. Do you, do you remember... The viewfinder, the red. So if you never got a viewfinder before, you would get these discs with pictures on it, and you would slide it into the viewfinder. Now, these were actually kind of awesome, at least for a few moments, because what you would do is you'd, you'd hold up the pictures to your eyes, and then all of a sudden this incredibly uh, just beautiful, detailed pictures would show up. It was awesome. And the reason that these pictures were so, were so great is that it would allow your eyes to focus solely on that one big picture. And they were fun and they were cool for a few moments because after you'd seen the pictures once or twice, you know, you're kind of done with it until the next holiday you got a few more of those discs and then it was cool again for about 10 minutes. It was a great gift. Why am I sharing this with you? What is the purpose of this besides going down memory lane and having a little bit of fun here? My question is this. What is your view of life and the world around you? How do you see things? It's so easy for our eyes to get out of focus, isn't it? Or for us to misinterpret life events or the situations that we go through. Now, my prayer today, and this has kind of been the whole point of what we've been sharing for the last few weeks is that my prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you'd be able to see life from a different perspective or through heaven's eyes. Because here's one of the things that we've talked about, that if you can see it, you can be it. Whatever you're able to see in your world, you can become that. And we need to learn to see more of our life and our situations, I believe, 
from God's perspective, from his point of view, the way that he sees things. Because God has a higher point of view than you or I do. He can see the beginning, the end, and everything in between. And when we partner with God, and when we ask God to open our eyes, we can then begin to see things differently than maybe than we saw it before. Because God always is up to something and doing something. And that's why Paul in Ephesians shared the, this importance of seeing our life from a heavenly or Jesus perspective. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What's he saying? That you wouldn't just see things with your earthly eyes, but that you would have spiritual eyes, or the spiritual eyes of your heart would be open. Today is, we're gonna conclude this series. Now we started off, just a little refresher, we started off understanding that we need God's perspective to see who we are. I talked about Gideon and how Gideon was a, a young man that, was a, that lived in fear. He didn't have a very good opinion of himself. He didn't understand the way that God saw him, and there was a good reason for that. He was the least of the least of the least. He was in the, the lowest place in the smallest tribe in all of Israel. But yet God called him a mighty man of valor and he used him to deliver Israel from their enemies. I believe this, that God wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us and that God wants to use us to do great and mighty things in him. Last week, the truth that we shared was that there are more that are for us than against us. Can I hear an amen for that? That God loves you, that God is on your side, that he believes in you, and he wants you to understand that because you got out of bed today, that the devil should be afraid of you, that he should be trembling in his boots because you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, today, I want to talk about the importance of seeing or seeking God opportunities being what you're designed to be and doing what you're designed to do. Now, when I was growing up, I loved to play games like hide-and-seek. Who here played hide-and-seek with your siblings, your friends? Now, I, I, I have to admit, I like genuine fun. Uh, but there were times that I was one of those guys that could take things just a little bit too far at times. Uh, maybe you were like that. Maybe you were one of those people that constantly found yourself in trouble because you took a good thing, you thought it would make it great, and you ended up going over the top, and it wasn't so great. Well, when I was in high school, uh, one of the things that we liked to do is we, uh, and this got me in a little bit of trouble, is we liked to uh, decorate people's houses with toilet paper for fun. And it's called TPN. Who's ever done that? And I gotta say this, if there are kids in here, uh, please be careful with the information that I'm giving you today. It's dangerous. It will get you in trouble, um, but you'll have fun doing it. No, we can't talk about that. So we used to do this, and on one Friday night, not, nothing particular in, in order, my friends and I decided to bless a family from our church and school with our decorating services. It was a, a gift that we had, and so... As we began to do this process, I was heading around to the back of the house, and I discovered this was a gold mine. This was incredible. I discovered that, that there were some high school girls that were having a slumber party that night, and they were sleeping on the deck that was on the second level. It wasn't on the bottom level. They were, they were 
having this slumber party, and I just happened to be right underneath of that deck. And they were talking, and they were laughing, and they were, oh, did you hear about this? And they were giggling, and all of a sudden, I decided to interject myself into their conversation. Now, I knew I had to be careful. I didn't want to completely freak them out, but I wanted to freak them out a little bit. And so I said, hey, ladies, how are you doing tonight? Oh, oh, who is that? Oh, oh, who are you? Who are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm the wind. <gasps> oh, well, do you know who we are? Uh, so, so I told them their names, and I told them things about them because I went to school with them, and I was just having a great time. And they're like, oh, my goodness, how do, you, how do you know all of this stuff? I said, well, the wind knows everything. <laughs> and the conversation was going great. It, we were having a great time until all of a sudden I noticed at the next-door neighbor's house there were two police officers with flashlights that were looking for prowlers that had been called in around the neighborhood. Now, I couldn't understand who those people might be, but they were looking for people. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a great game of hide-and-seek, me hiding from the girls, then me hiding from the police officers who are seeking to find me. And in that moment, I decided it was time to run, and I made my escape into the night. Now, there's a part two to this story that you'll have to ask me about it another time. But it doesn't help the story for where we're going with this. In the Bible, you're going to wonder, how does he change this? In the book of Matthew, it talks about seeking, us seeking after God and his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So we're talking today about what is it that God has called us to do? What does he want us, how does he want us to see the opportunities around us? Well, it starts off with the process of seeking him in everything we do. Now, when we talk about seeking, and the Bible uses the word seeking here, it's, it's, to, it's to search with, the, with the, some um, passion. It's to search like that you're desperate to find something. It's kind of like when you go to work or you're getting ready to leave for work and you can't find your car keys. You know that search where all of a sudden you rip apart couches. You look for, you throw paper all over because you've got to find your keys so you can get to work. That's the desperation we're talking about. Now I've had this experience at one point in my life many years ago. We spend a lot of time at the church because we're pastors. I've been a part of this church for almost 24 years now. And uh, uh, when my daughter was about four or five, um, we had done a bunch of things and, and, and we were getting ready to go home and we couldn't find her. Well, we, we had given our kids the, the privilege and we were here in the evening doing stuff that they could walk around and go around. And so we started to, to look for her. And, you know, for the first few minutes, you're like, oh, she's probably just in a closet or, or hanging out in a room. We just didn't see her. Well, after 10, 15 minutes, I don't know if you've ever experienced this with your child, I began to start panicking a little bit. Where is my kid? Uh, this isn't funny anymore. Did somebody kidnap her? Did she go out the door? Is she out in the street? You just begin to form all of these crazy pictures in your mind. And so we began to search frantically. We began to tear this place apart. We began to look in places that we'd never look, like the fridge. You know, you, you start looking in, in the, are they hiding in a cupboard? Where is she at? And we searched for probably 20, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden we heard this little weepy voice that was crying. And we listened, and it was coming from this back 
stairwell, this fire escape. What had happened as she was playing, she was looking around trying to find things and didn't realize that when you close the door on certain things, it will lock behind you. And so she was in there and the lights were off. It was kind of a scary moment. Well, I was rejoicing that we found her because we were desperate to find her. But then I had a grieving moment where it's like, well, how long have you been in here? And this is a terrible situation. We're called to seek or focus. What are we called to seek or focus? As it says in Matthew 6.33, well, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God really? Well, it's the rule of Jesus over people's hearts. It's where Jesus becomes the ruler of people's lives. And then it says we're to seek his righteousness. Well, what is his righteousness? Well, that's actually the rule of Jesus over our lives, that we honor God, that we obey him, that we we follow his word, his directions, that we want to please him, that we live righteously or the right way. Now, I could speak for a month on these two topics, but here's what I feel like God is wants me to focus on today that we're called to that, that that we're called to desire the heart of God that we're to seek God's heart in our lives. And the question we have to ask ourselves is what is it that God desires? Well, God desires first of all in a very simplistic way that all people would know him. God's desire for the whole earth, for everybody that's living and breathing today, those that have lived, those that are living today, those that will live, is his desire is for every human being to have relationship with him or have a life-changing experience with him. In order to do that, he wants to give us a place where we see that we're part of that process, that God's desire for you and I is that we be part of seeing people change and transform into who Jesus has called them to be. That he would open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus' opportunities all around us. Well, what are Jesus' opportunities? They're opportunities, first of all, for you and I to make a difference. That God has called you and I to be people who make a difference in other people's lives. That God wants us to see this is what he's called us to do. This is who he's called us to be. That, we're our, that we want to take time for opportunities to do good to other people. That we become aware of God in our everyday moments. That we get up every day saying, God, I want to be used by you. In the Gospel of John, we have Jesus teaching his disciples and others about God opportunities. And so I'm going to read to you out of John chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. It says this, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit of the harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? We have to understand the context for which the Bible was written. That he was talking to people that grew up understanding agriculture and farming. Even if you weren't like a big, large-scale farmer that we sometimes think about with people as far as that you have acres and acres of land, most people would have at least grown some crops or little food things for their own ability to eat. They probably would have had a few goats and sheep or a few things around so that they would have 
things that they could eat or even take for sacrifices to the temple because as Jewish people, that was part of what they were required to do. So when Jesus begins to speak to them, he speaks in illustrations that they would understand. And so that's why you see a lot of things about farming and seeds and and planting. Now, maybe that's not where you grew up. Maybe you've been a city person. I, I, I would consider myself now a city folk. You know, I, I've grown up in the, or I've lived around the city for well over half of my life, but there was a time when I was around people that were into farming. And here's what I understand about seeds. First of all, before you plant them, you normally now, you till the soil. You want to make sure that the soil is ready for the seed. It takes some work. Then you plant the seed and then you have to care for the soil. You need to make sure that the seed is watered. You have to watch out for insects and animals and other diseases. And once the seed is planted, you have to plant it, but there comes a moment where you just have to trust that it's growing. You can't see whether the seed is growing or not, can you? If you put a seed in the ground. It's impossible. But you have to believe that something is happening. And for weeks Or even months, it can seem like something isn't happening. You have to have faith in the seed, that the seed is going to do what it's supposed to do. And I could talk about the germination and all the things, and I could bore you for hours, all the way up till kickoff for the Stampeders game today, talking about farming uh, practices, but you don't need to know that. But what we do need to understand is that when we plant a seed, we have to believe that it's going to grow. Because, see, we really have four choices if you plant a seed. First of all, you could dig it up every day to see if it's growing. Oh, well, I got to dig it up. Is there something happening? Is there things going on with it? We can worry that the seed isn't doing anything. Why? Because we can't see it. Well, who here knows that would destroy the crop? That would ruin the seed. Or we could plant the seed and we could completely ignore it. Yeah, whatever. Seed's going to do what seed's going to do. I got other things to do in my life. If the seed grows, it grows. And we can completely just forget about it, ignore it. I don't think that's a good idea. Or maybe we just get to the place where that farming thing, Pastor Todd, that you're talking about, that just seems really hard, so I'm just not going to plant any seeds. I'm going to eat the seed, and then I'm going to go on. I'll just go buy some seed from somebody else. Again, not a good idea. The right response is to have a faith that the seed is growing, that we look after it, that we care for it, but we believe even what we can't see, that we need the eyes of heaven to see what is really happening. Now, the Bible isn't just talking about a seed that is, that's, that's fruit or, or something that we can eat or tangible. It's talking about Jesus doing something in people's hearts and their lives. And I believe that each and every day that we have the opportunity to plant seed, that we can plant seed in the lives of people that are around us. When we speak a word of encouragement, we are planting a seed. When we reach out to a friend in need, we are planting a seed. When we place our money in the offering, we are planting a seed. When we help a stranger who is in despair, again, You and I, we are planting a seed. And here's what I want us to understand here today, that we should never underestimate the power that is in one seed. That there's so much potential in 
one seed, that you could have hundreds of other seeds or, or thousands or hundreds of thousands of seeds by just that one seed that is being planted. So we need to understand that even one small act of kindness or, or one action can have an incredible multiplying effect. Can I hear an amen for that? Because if seed is planted in the right soil, it will grow. And I believe this when it comes to the people that are around us each and every day, that the soil is ripe. That the harvest, if we will plant the seed, the harvest is ready. That the trees are ripe for harvest. That there are people, here listen to this, that there are people all around you who are hungry for what God has put inside of you. But you've got to give them what God has given to you. People are searching to be loved and accepted. That's why Jesus in the scripture we're probably more familiar with about planting and harvesting is in Luke chapter 10 verse 2 where Jesus made this statement, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Wow. So my question is, is why are the workers so few? Well, I've got a few reasons today that I want to share with you. First of all, the workers are so few because people are busy with other business. They're busy with, with doing lots of things. That, because I, I got to be honest with you, life is really busy. Who here would say your life is busy? You've got lots of things that you're managing between work and kids and school and, and, and all sorts of things that you're managing. And it, sometimes life can just seem incredibly full, can it? But here's the reality that we have to understand that, that, that we need to be people who are willing to say, seek first the kingdom, that whatever it is that we're doing, that we need to make sure that we're including God in what's going on in our lives. And I think where people get in trouble is they don't include God. They, they get so busy that God kind of gets pushed off to the side. And God's saying, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll take care of the rest of your stuff and the rest of your business. We can chase after the wrong priorities, that somehow we need to have more success in our life, that if we can just put a little bit more in the bank, or if we get more education, and we can chase after education, or we can even get distracted with the wrong things, chasing after our own selfish desires, and what God is saying, if you seek first my kingdom, I will take care of your kingdom. I will look after you. You see, I think sometimes the urgency of what's going on around us doesn't always grip us. We think that we have so much more time in our life. And I'm learning more and more as I just experienced my 48th birthday this year. Now I'm going to be honest with you. That I'm, I'm, I've probably got less years than more years left of my life. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm on the second half of my life. Now I'm, I'm believing, well, if I can live to be 120 like Moses then I've got lots more time. But the reality of it is that, that, that time is short. It, it, it goes very quickly. Why are, are the workers so few? Number two, we make it too complicated. We believe that reaching out to people is for the scholarly or the super spiritual. 
that you must have a complete knowledge of the Bible. Now, I'm a big proponent in us learning more of the Bible. I'm a big uh, uh, fan of us getting more knowledge, but I want you to know that, that we can disqualify ourselves before we even begin because we just say, oh, I, I just can't do that. I, I, I'm not that great. Well, let me tell you what your qualifications are to making a difference in people's lives. First of all, you just need a love for God, a love for people, and a willingness to connect with them. Not very complicated. You just need to be the real you. You just need to be who God created you to be, the one that Jesus is alive in. And they just need to see the Jesus alive in your life. You will begin to have an impact on the people that are all around you each and every day. We gotta quit disqualifying ourselves. Here's one of my favorite reasons why the workers are so few. We hope someone else will do it. I don't know about you, but uh, we have some interesting things that happen in my house. Probably doesn't happen in your house, but maybe it does. We have this thing called the garbage. And you know the garbage, it starts off somehow. It was empty at one time. I don't know how it happened, but it was. And, and we begin to add things to it, and eventually the garbage can gets full. And what's amazing is how often we can ignore the full garbage can because we're hoping that somebody else is going to take care of it. We're believing for it. I, I know there are times that it's funny, the garbage is overflowing, and my wife will tell me about the overflowing garbage. Like, do you see the garbage? And I'm like, but don't you see the garbage? And then we go to our kids. Did you see the garbage that's overflowing? And we can spend weeks talking about it. Praying to God to remove the garbage that's in our home. We see it, but we don't do anything about it. I believe that is what happens for us when it comes to reaching out to people sometimes. We see it. We see the need, but we're, we're, we're just hoping that somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will do it. Maybe the, 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 the church is just going to take care of it. And I ask myself, well, who's the church? Oh, who is the church? Oh, we all are. Sometimes when we say that, though, that's not what we mean. We mean, oh, the leaders, the, the pastor, the, they should do, they should be the ones taking, man, the, if, the, if there was just, if they were doing more reaching out stuff, there'd be more people here. But it's us, it's the church, it's all of us. I'll leave it there. Sometimes we even pray for God to do miracles, and I know I've shared this before, and we hope that somehow by our prayers that people will get into their car, drive to our house, or drive to the church, that they'll show up and just, they'll begin to talk to us about this incredible miracle that took place, that somehow they didn't even realize it, but they got in their car, they drove here, they just arrived, and they can't believe that they're here today. But here's what I've learned, and God showed me this over and over again in my life, that God will not do for us what he's asked us to do. There's a part we have to play. 
And we can pray all we want. God's saying, I'm asking you to do what you do. And I think prayer is important. I believe in the power of prayer. But I also believe in the power. Here's a, here's a word. This might sting a little bit. I also believe in the power of obedience to God. Why do we not have the work as we can? Well, because sometimes we're just afraid. <laughs> we're afraid. We don't want to be rejected. Maybe we've had some bad experiences. Maybe we've reached out before. Maybe, maybe we don't want to be labeled. We don't want to be that person that you're that holy roller, that crazy Christian person. You're the preacher man or the preacher woman. And we get scared, and so we, we begin to fall back into our cocoon. Or maybe this one. How about this? We're not sure what to say. We don't know what to say to people. I believe a certain level of nerves is normal. It means that we care. I believe this. When I share the word with you each and every week, I, I get nervous. Why? Because I want God to do I want to make sure, God, am I getting this right? Am I doing the right thing? This is an important thing, God. But the reality is, is that God didn't call us to be controlled by fear. In fact, in 1 John 1 John 4, 18, it says that perfect love removes fear. That when his love fills our life, you know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you quit being afraid, that you don't face fears, but what it means is that the love inside of you is greater than the fear that's trying to rob you. And we learn to walk in that. And we turn to, God, turn to God for God preservation instead of self-preservation. It says in Matthew 6.25, Matthew 16.25, Luke 9.24, John 12.25, it says, if you will try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. But he who gives his life away will gain even more. We want to do some things when it comes to sharing our faith that in the coming year, in the early part of next year, we want to do some things to help people gain confidence in sharing their faith. More things to do with evangelism. Who here would be interested in actually saying, I, I would be interested in learning more how to, to reach out to my friends and my neighbors. God, if you could help me, that would encourage me. Well, we're going to do that because I believe it's important. Lastly, why are the workers so few? Well, we give up too quickly. We live in a quick solution world. We watch TV shows where they solve a major life problem in 22 minutes. It's an incredible thing. You know what? I've tried to do this at home with my wife. It doesn't work that way very often. I don't know if you've experienced this. We order meals that arrive in less than 30 minutes. We have many computers, our cell phones in our hands, where we can communicate and connect with people all around the world instantaneously. And it's easy to become discouraged when we reach out or we are trying to make an impact and we don't see the results right away. You know, there are great moments where God uses us and he just does a miracle. We, we see things happen quickly. Those are awesome, but who here knows that more times than not, it's a process. Relationships are a process. I remember, like I said, my I've been involved with the, my next door neighbors. I love to talk about them, but 
We, we spent so much time just encouraging them and loving them. A, a Muslim family right next door to us. For 17 years, we've been in relationship with them. And slowly but surely, God is getting a hold of each one of their hearts. And we've seen, I can, at least four or five that have made decisions that Jesus is who they're serving. We serve a great and awesome God. Now it's exciting now, as we look at this scripture in John 4, 35 and 36, we see that it talks about how the harvester or this planter and the harvester gain the same reward. Paul talks about in one of his uh, epistles to the church that some plant, some water, and some harvest, but all will reap the same reward. But here's the key. The key is to get involved. And I believe God's desire is for us to open the eyes of our heart to see the world around us. And I say this to you, church, I want you to begin to get excited in your spirit because if you will embrace this, things are about to change here. Things are about to change in your world. What if you got out of bed every day saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'm available. Use me. Show me. Open my eyes to see. I'll tell you what, your life is going to get radically different some of you are like, I'm not really excited about my faith. I'll tell you what, you begin to live your life this way, oh man, you're going to have stories. You're going to have things that are going to happen. God is going to connect you with people that are unbelievable. And you know, and it's not always about just seeing people saved. You're going to just begin to connect with people in a whole other way. I got to ride home on an airplane from Hawaii with a guy, I got crammed into a seat with a six foot six, 350 pound lineman who played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I got to talk to him all the trip. He's now my friend. And he's a believer. And he says, someday I'm going to come through Calgary. I'm going to come to your church. I think there's great joy in being part of the Great Commission. I believe this too. What would happen? What would happen if we said, you know what, How, what, what, what can I do? Well, what if you just began to reach out to your, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a, a fellow student, wherever you're at, you just said, you know what, God, would you use me? What if you were willing to invite somebody to church? You know, I look here today and I just, I love, I love seeing all of you that are here. You, you're, it's such a blessing. There's so much great things that God's doing in your life and he wants to do even more. But I also see empty seats here. I want those empty seats represent to me. It's not that I'm discouraged by it. That's why I'm saying there's opportunity. These seats represent people that need to have that God experience in their life. They need to know that Jesus is there for them. I'm asking God to open the eyes of each one of our hearts for greater opportunities. Some of you, I'm saying today, you need to pray and write down names, write down people that you know. Begin to believe God for it. Ask for boldness and then reach out in love. We're in a great season right now. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And you want to know one of the great things about Christmas is that this season is an opportunity for people to even talk about Jesus. Why? Because it's the theme of the season. People are aware of it. They're thinking about it. I want to encourage you to 
invite somebody to one of the services, whether it's the merry little Christmas party or it's our Christmas Eve service, really any week I believe they're going to hear that good news of that Jesus is here to help them and encourage them and love them and change their life. I believe if we embrace this, that we're going to see just a transformation in our lives, but also in